Hey, it's Becca. It's Nancy. It's Brixie. And this is Insane Investigations. Happy Halloween. It's spooky season. (laughs) And we're back with our Halloween special, The Truth Behind Horror Films. So basically what we wanted to do for Halloween is take really popular horror movies that we all loved like growing up and stuff and look into the true stories behind them. So we're going to be talking about The Exorcist, A Nightmare on Elm Street and Silence of the Lambs today. I did want to do Psycho but I think Ed Gein is fucked up enough that we, we could probably do like a three-parter on him yeah. so we can do him like separately whilst I remember I actually have some updates on the Maya case yeah Sally Smith was given evidence in the last couple of weeks the suit against Johns Hopkins is currently underway happy days yeah so Literally, it's finally. going ahead yeah finally and also with Aokigahara, yeah, the suicide forest. So Alan actually listened to the episode. So this, these tidbits of information are courtesy of Alan. <laughs> the reason why that's so popular in Japan is they're really big into trends. So they just basically follow trends. Oh my god! So I didn't even think about that. It's like part of their like way of being they're doing it so let's do it too and it's like my friend just jumped off a bridge i'm gonna go jump after them yeah it's literally like what your parents say to you when you're a kid like if your friend jumped off a bridge would you do it yeah in japan in japan they're like like, yeah yeah absolutely what a silly question (laughs) yeah then they're my little updates so we'll keep an eye on the maya case and keep you updated as we go as we find out more information, I guess. Yeah, fingers crossed they finally get some justice. Yeah. yeah, I agree. So I think we'll just kick it off with The Exorcist. I remember watching The Exorcist when I was like eight years old. Somewhere between like eight and ten years old. So I used to stay at my dad's uh, like every other weekend. And he lived in like a two-bed flat and already had two daughters living with him. And there's like four of us all staying over so six kids and my dad in a two-bed flat which meant i was sleeping on the living room floor yeah um, with my half sister and she'd just stick the telly on and i watched the exorcist for the like the first time when i was eight years old but between eight Were and you ten traumatized? no no oh, i think that's why i'm like so weird now i'm just like desensitized i thought it was hilarious yeah in all fairness it is like it is yeah. old. I think I would have appreciated it a lot more if I hadn't seen other horror movies that had come out later on. Like by the yeah. time I watched The Exorcist, I had seen like more recent movies, so I it think was like kind the of just effects and yeah, stuff the special yeah. effects and stuff. Just I think for your generation, it would come across as quite dated because you're only a wee baba. Yeah, <laughs> I I could understand why it was scary when it was released, but. I don't know, I think I've just always been a bit of a sicko and like, yeah. don't get scared of that. Like, when that girl's like in the bed and she's like, fuck me. And it's yeah. like, ah. <laughs> Regan or Reagan was Reagan, it? Reagan, I Reagan? think it is, yeah. Yeah. But basically, in the film, she gets possessed and like, she's like flying around. Well, she's flying around the room like on her mattress and 
Yeah. Her head's like spinning and shit. <laughs> yeah. Pea soup. Yeah. Oh, the pea, pea soup. soup. The pea yeah. soup. But yeah, like it was all based on this poor boy. So the boy that Rebecca's talking about is a young wee fella called Ronald Hunkler. AKA Ronald Doe or Ronnie Mannheim. And he lived in Roanoke, St. Louis, Missouri. And Ooh, a fun fact. Roanoke. Yeah, American Horror Story, no? Yeah. Is yeah. that what you're thinking of? Yeah. That's it, you all I associate that with. <laughs> I don't even know what else Me is there either. in real life. I'm just like... And yeah, a fun fact is that St. Louis actually has the highest homicide rate in the US besides Mexico. Oh. Yeah, that was only mentioned like a couple months ago. I seen it on TikTok and I looked it up and yeah, it's a fucked up place to go. <laughs> so before moving to Roanoke, he lived in Washington with his family and his aunt Harriet, who was a spiritualist and taught him many things like how to use a Ouija board. However, she passed away in January of 1949. Shortly after her death, Ronald started to experience strange things, including scratching sounds from the floors and walls of his room, water dripping from the walls and his mattress would even move. Ronald's family was terrified. I mean, as you would be. Yeah. So they started looking for an expert to help them understand what was happening with their son. They consulted doctors, psychiatrists, and their local Lutheran minister, but they were no help. The minister suggested that the family seek the assistance of the Jesuits. Father E. Albert Hughes asked his superiors in the Catholic Church for permission to perform an exorcism on Ronald, to which they allowed. Which I always found that mad, like... Apparently, I don't know about a Catholic church, but I heard that if you ever want to perform an exorcism, you need to get permission of the Vatican, of the Pope. Yeah, I yeah. heard that. Yeah. Which is mad. That's And insane. I think it's like, not any old priest can like do an exorcism. No. Yeah. Imagine if they were just allowed to perform exorcisms whenever and they were just like doing it to like kids who were like misbehaved or something. It'd be pretty traumatising. Just praying them with holy water. It wouldn't surprise me if that happened. happened. That probably happened a lot more than you think, yeah. Yeah. So, for the exorcism, Father Hughes strapped Ronald down to a mattress before beginning to recite prayers, etc. Exorcism-y things. Exorcism-y things. What is it? The power of Christ compels you. That's it. But, like, imagine if they didn't get permission they're just like strapping these kids down to mattresses like yeah so during the exorcism scratches appeared on ronald's body and his mattress began moving around violently ultimately the exorcism failed a few days later red scratches appeared on ronald doe one of the scratches formed the word lewis so one of the scratches formed the word louis which indicated to ronald's mother that the family needed to go to St. Louis, where the hunklers and relatives to find a way to save their son. After arriving at St. Louis, the family consulted Father Walter H. Halloran and Reverend William Bowden, who agreed to perform a second exorcism on Ronald with the help of several assistants. Might I just point out, like, these scratches appeared on his body presumably from the devil or demons or whatever so why would you go to the place that the devil or demons are telling you to go yeah that's a bit fucked actually come to think of it it's like yeah i'd go well we're definitely not going to st louis oh yeah because yeah. it said lewis yeah yeah sorry it took me a second there to process i was like yeah that's how do yeah. we know that the, the scratches said lewis but the scratches aren't going to be caused by anything good so why do you want to go where the bad thing is telling you to go yeah to confront it maybe but 
that's not how my brain works. I'd be like, oh no, the devil wants me to go to St. Louis. I'm not going. I'll go anywhere but there. I'll go to Hawaii. The devil won't find me there. No, the devil doesn't exist in Hawaii. <laughs> Anywho, the Jesuits and assistants gathered at Ronald's family home in Roanoke in early March. Much like the last exorcism, scratches appeared on Ronald's body and his mattress moved around. However, this one wasn't a total failure. Amid all the chaos that was happening throughout the exorcisms, Halloran and Bowder noticed changes in Ronald's behavior. During the day, he would be very calm and acted like his normal self. But at night, he was having like outbursts where he was screaming. He was like seeming to be in a trance sometimes they said and he would make strange sounds and it's actually in the film as well all the weird noises that regan makes yeah that's all like based, based off on... what like the kind of sounds that he was making i'm horrified <laughs> that poor kid i know i know didn't like the girl that played regan have to like go to therapy and stuff like I think he, like, fucked her up mentally playing that character. I think so. It was either that or the girl from Poltergeist. I can't... Or maybe it was both. Could have been. Could have been I mean, both. I wouldn't be surprised in yeah. either case. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah, like, how could... I wouldn't be able... A child. I wouldn't be able to do that now. <laughs> oh, I think I'd have great fun with it. <laughs> the priests witnessed objects flying around the room as well, and he would negatively react to any of the religious objects that the priests were using so like crucifixes and stuff like that mm -hmm. this ordeal turned into a week-long event with that's so sad like this poor kid for a week for a week going through, yeah. going through all this where halloran and bowdern and their assistants would repeatedly try to excise whatever spirit was hosting ronald's body during that time a lot of scratches appeared on Ronald, including a pitchfork-shaped scratch on his leg that reached all the way down to his ankle. They noticed an X scratched into Ronald's chest as well, which they believed to represent the number 10 and that he was basically possessed by 10 spirits. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah, bit much. Yeah. But okay. So Halloran and Bowder never gave up performing nightly exorcisms to try and save Ronald from the demons that were possessing him. And on March 20th, 1949, the exorcism reached a new horrific level. Ronald urinated all over his bed and began shouting and cursing at the priest. Ah, so that would be the fuck me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now Ronald's parents had had enough at this stage. So they took him to Alexian Brothers Hospital in St. Louis for more serious treatment. Finally, on the 18th of April, 1949, Ronald woke up in the middle of the night having seizures and screaming that Satan would always be with him. The priest laid holy relics, crucifixes, medals and rosaries on him and prayed. And at 10.45, the priest called on St. Michael to expel Satan from Ronald's body. They shouted to Satan, saying that St. Michael would battle him for Ronald's soul. And seven minutes later, Ronald came out of his trance and said he's gone. The teenager recounted how he had a vision of St. Michael vanquishing Satan on a great battlefield. All of Ronald's strange behaviour ended after that night and he went on to live a relatively normal life afterwards. That was the most shocking part of the story. That he just like, you know, got on with it. <laughs> got on with yeah. it. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm happy for him. Oh, I'm, I'm happy for him. Yeah. yeah. But fair fucks to him. I wouldn't yeah. be able for that now. Yeah. The story made headlines and people were shocked to learn the details of what had happened to the teenage boy. Then it was kind of forgotten about for two decades until 1971 when an author by the name of William Peter Blatty penned the best-selling novel The Exorcist based on the unofficial diaries kept by Holleran and Bowden. The book stayed on the bestseller list for 54 weeks and spawned the hit movie in 1973. Bestseller for over a year. That's yeah. insane. That's impressive. Yeah. The novel sold 13 million copies in the US alone and Blatty described Ronald's experiences as the first stage of classical possession infestation and used this in his novel before the full possession of reagan the violence guttural voices and revulsions for sacred items displayed by reagan is inspired by descriptions of ronald's possession although the film version of the exorcist evoked a negative reaction from religious groups with many protesting outside cinemas blatty has said that the true aim of his novel was to scare a generation into going back to church to keep Ronald's identity and the fact that The Exorcist is based on a true story under wraps, Blatty had to change a few things. Ronald became a 12-year-old girl instead of a 14-year-old boy, and Reagan's mother was changed to a single parent as opposed to having a large family. The violent outbursts in Ronald's creepy, low-toned voice all occurred, but the infamous ceiling crawl and head spinning have never fully been confirmed or denied to have happened. I don't think the head spinning could have happened, like, no no like this is spine like a, there's just no way that's not possible yeah. or the crawling on or the, the crawling on the ceiling yeah. levitating maybe 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 you never know you, you never, never know. know and the scratches on ronald's body reading lewis was also changed to help me yeah so they had you know they changed it up a artistic bit, license so. as well yeah. yeah but it's still crazy to think that that was based on a true story like i never knew that I didn't either. And I'm like a massive horror movie fan. And I was yeah. so excited for this episode. And I didn't know the next movie we were about to talk about was based on a true story either. And I'm terrified the next, to hear The this. next one, it's not that scary. It's, okay, it okay. was more an inspiration than a, a okay, true story. Okay, okay, um, I was like, yeah, I no. the sound of this one. See, I was a little weirdo when I was younger. And I only wanted to watch horror movies that were based on true stories because I got like an extra like kick out of it. Oh, like, <laughs> It just too, like yeah. the adrenaline just used to rush better when I'd be like, "This really happened," do you know? What I mean? Yeah. So the next film that we're gonna talk about is A Nightmare on Elm Street. It was written by Wes Craven, and this was one of my favorite films growing up. Like I watched this multiple times. I watched the new one, the old one. My ex yeah. made me watch all of them that were made up to that point. So we're going back to like 2009. So I watched them all up until 2009. But the movie isn't based on like stuff that actually happened. He got inspiration from something that really happened, and I thought that it was really interesting. Oh. And I thought it was kind of creepy, as well. Because there's dying to find his own. there's no real explanation as to why this happened. So he actually read in the LA Times that a fella in his twenties and his family had escaped the killing fields in Cambodia, 
and immigrated to the US. But all of a sudden, he started getting nightmares that scared him so much that he started refusing to sleep. And he told his parents that he, he, was, he was afraid that if he fell asleep, whatever was chasing him would catch him. But nobody really took him seriously. Everybody was just like, go asleep. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Like, And they probably thought as well like that he was getting to a point of sleep deprivation. That he was like hallucinating and Yeah, lucid anymore. So... He wasn't giving in though, like he was like, no, I'm not going to sleep. Like he tried to explain to them, like, I've had nightmares before. This is different. But nobody was getting it. Nobody really believed him. There's a difference between nightmares and night terrors though. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Once he did actually fall asleep, his parents could hear (gasps) screams coming from his room. By the time they got to him, he was dead. I was expecting that. Yeah. No explanation. They did an autopsy and they couldn't figure out why he died my mind is like blown yeah right now. i'm like no becca don't do this to me please like when i was a child i watched the simpsons version of this and it terrified the shit out of me and i couldn't sleep oh i'm sorry i didn't <laughs> and know. then i was terrified i ended up watching the the actual movies but i was like a lot older when i watched the movies so like yeah. at that point i was already like you said I don't know what it is. It's just about something coming to get you in your sleep. Yeah. Because it's like when you sleep, you're like your most vulnerable and then yeah. your own dreams can kill you. Like, I don't know. That just Well, apparently me. this fellow wasn't the only one either. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have did this. Um, I'm not going to sleep again. <laughs> Listen, you weren't in the killing fields. I think you're going to be okay. Because. Okay. Wes Craven actually said it was a series of articles in the LA Times about men from the south from Southeast Asia who were from immigrant families who died in the middle of nightmares and the paper never correlated them they just never could explain what happened to them but medicine wasn't as advanced as it is now what I'm thinking is they were all suffering from PTSD and maybe suffered yeah. heart attacks in their sleep from the panic. Okay, that makes sense. That makes me feel a little bit better. We'll go with I them. was thinking they were scared to death. Yeah. Because, like, obviously they had PTSD from all that shit going on. They got out and then they probably were sleep deprived and stuff. And probably were hallucinating. Yeah. Because of the bad dreams they were having. And then they could have suffered heart attacks or something. Yeah. So, last but not least, we're going to talk a little bit about the true story behind the Silence of the Lambs. So, Buffalo Bill definitely gave us all the ick when he first hit our TV screens. But Gary Heidnick, the man Buffalo Bill was based on, brings a whole new definition to the term. Oh God. He used his victims as sex slaves and forced them to torture each other and even ground one of their bodies up and forced the other women to eat her flesh oh yeah oh this god that is nasty like that fucked. is beyond oh however gary was actually a bishop and <laughs> i'm done <laughs> but yeah so he was a bishop and to everyone in philadelphia he was a kind and honorable man which i mean 
That makes the whole situation so much worse. Yeah, like so much worse. Everybody in Philadelphia needs to take a serious reevaluation of their life. Yeah, seriously stop and think about the people you're letting into your life. Yeah, like what the hell? And every Sunday, people would meet at Gary's home to discuss his unique spin on the Bible. Little did they know that right below where they stood, six women were chained up and being held captive by Gary. Gary had actually been charged with sexual assault before but never did serious time for it. And he was even charged with spousal rape of Betty Disso, a mail-order bride he married in 1985. Betty had a son, Jesse, in 1986. But that year, she also left Gary. Gary had two other children with two different women who also complained about his sexual deviance and fondness to tie them up. Like, this isn't just, like, BDSM. Yeah. Consent and all that shit. This is... Yeah. This is forced. Like, this yeah. is, this no. is forced. Yeah. It's so, disgusting. apparently, Gary didn't have a great childhood. His father was abusive and mocked him for wetting the bed. He was isolated at school and didn't really have any friends, so Gary was alone pretty much. Like, a lot of us have bad childhoods and we don't end up being yeah. sexual whole, deviants and isn't murderers. Isn't the whole, and... like, wet in the bed thing, like, something to do with Yes, it, it is. That's yeah. a common thing, it's isn't it? Yeah. A, a triangle of, like, psychopathy. It's supposed to be something. a sign that they were It's like that animal abused. abuse and something else. There's another one there's bed. Didn't we discuss this in... Was it the Freddy Krueger killer or... I think we did in Jamie Bulger as well. We definitely talked about it before. It's a sign that the, the child's been sexually I assaulted. F- I, I think. feel like it was mentioned in the Freddy Krueger because I think I learned about it through the Psychology of a Killer episode yeah. I watched on oh, YouTube. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'll have to look into it again. Yeah. So Gary joined the army after he graduated. However, he was discharged for mental health reasons after 13 months. His diagnosis was schizoid personality disorder. I think that's like schizophrenia. He worked as a nurse then for a bit, but he quickly learned that the easiest way to control people is through religion. So he became a bishop. Gary started the United Church of the Ministers of God in 1971 in Philadelphia. Why do these always have such long ass names? I know, I know. Yeah. it's always like fucking a mile long. It's I like... know. So he started with just five followers and fifteen hundred dollars investment. That's all we need to start our own little church. We start should a cult. start our own church. We should start a cult. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. True crime cult. Yeah. Out in like the Wiglow Mountains. <laughs> yeah. If you want to be part of our religious cult, our sign up to Patreon. For, <laughs> sign up to Patreon on the top tier if you want to join the cult. <laughs> we, need least, we need at least 1,500 euros to start. So. Yeah. So even though we started with only five followers, his following grew a lot and very quickly making it easier and easier for him to control people. Like stuff like that just blows my mind. Yeah. People are so like, gullible. Like They're just, the way people just fall into that shit it's not even gullible it's vulnerable yeah that's true yeah because people join these things because they're in search of something something's missing in their life and they are vulnerable yeah that makes sense though yeah so the first woman he captured was in 1986 and her name was josephina rivera 
and she was a sex worker lured into his home by the promise of money because of course she's doing a job she needs to get paid yeah. for yeah. it they had sex and when Rivera was getting dressed Heidnik came up from behind and choked her then he dragged her down to his basement shackled her limbs together with chains and sealed the bolts in with super glue Heidnik then beat her with a stick until she stopped screaming for help then he threw her into a pit boarded it up and sealed her in all i could remember was like a film projector of things that were going on in my life it was like you know just flipping back was a quote he would kidnap five more women in just three months all in the same way that rivera was abducted all of his victims were black because as Heidnik's lawyer would later reveal he was trying to enslave 10 black girls to have a baby with all of them and he was going to create a perfect race sounds a bit calm down Hitler Carla <laughs> is a psychopath <laughs> yeah definitely and much like Rivera the other victims were choked chained up thrown into a pit and boarded up inside only pulled out to be raped or tortured yeah this fellow was this is way worse than buffalo bill yeah like buffalo bill was like it rubs the lotion on the skin or it gets the hose again this is way worse this is way worse way way worse like silence the lambs yeah like they were starved a little bit and then the skin was cut off but these women were living through the torture. Rever we have a quote from Rivera, is this yeah. which same... means she survived. Yeah, that is actually worse than yeah. being yeah. killed. I prefer to die at the start. Yeah, than just to go kill. Rivera actually eventually convinced Gary that she was on his side, and he made her the boss of the other women. It was kind of his way of like pitting them against each other, though. Like mm -hmm. she was to like tell them what to do and yeah. shit like that and um, basically he had said that if Rivera did what he said he'd bring her like hot chocolate and hot dogs and let her sleep outside of the hole that they all had to live in yeah she knew that going against them was dangerous so she kind of just had to play along play along yeah when one of the women misbehaved I guess in his eyes he would put them quote on punishment and when they're on punishment, they were starved, beaten, and tortured. Sometimes he would wrap duct tape around their mouths and slowly jam a screwdriver into their ears. Oh my god. Like he just liked Ew. doing that. Like that, he just wanted to that watch That makes them. me yeah. squirm oh just no. thinking about it. Yeah. Damn. Once he had Rivera fill the pit full of water and attached a stripped extension cord to the other women's chains and electrocuted them while he was watching the shock was so painful that one of the women deborah dudley was electrocuted to death that is such a horrible way to mm. horrible to die like and he barely reacted he just said yeah she's dead 
after checking her and he said now I can get back to having a peaceful basement bro if you wanted a peaceful basement maybe not, you shouldn't not. have abducted all these yeah women. exactly yeah. Sandra Lindsay was a mentally disabled woman who he had abducted shortly after Rivera and went on punishment she was starved for days and when Gary eventually went back to release her she had starved to death that was horrific the rest of the girls obviously started to panic but Gary told them if they didn't cut the bullshit, they'd be dead next. Like, imagine being one of those women and just watching the other women, like, die these horrific deaths. And your oh. everyday life is already fucking shit. A living nightmare as is. And they're the only people that you have. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You've probably grown you trauma bonds would, with them. Yeah. Like, this bit is the worst. He chopped up Lindsay's body and mixed it with dog food before forcing the other women to eat it and they had been starved to a point that if they didn't eat it they would have died so did they know that they were eating it they knew that they were eating it and the reason that he had mixed it with dog food was because one of the other girls he let them watch tv and there was a dog food add-on and she said she was so hungry that the dog food looked good and he said you'll eat dog food don't worry or something like that to her that's why he mixed it with dog food like bad enough feeding these poor women dog food in itself like that's so dehumanizing mm-hmm. like yeah. that already well everything just felt it was dehumanizing clearly yeah but then forcing somebody into cannibalism yeah i have no words i actually have no words it's fucked up man that's worse than jeffrey Dahmer. yeah like at least what he did he well not that he did it to himself right but at least he consumed it he didn't force someone else to consume yeah. it there's a bit of skepticism about that with the pork sandwich yeah he tried to feed his neighbor the pork sandwich yeah in in the dramatization and then it's kind of like well it might have happened it might not have happened we don't know yeah Mm. yeah but at least he tried to disguise it as a pork sandwich which is still fucked don't get me wrong i'm not trying to justify (laughs) cannibalism in any shape or form but at least he was all like oh it's a burger like this is like this is your friend that just died yesterday that you've been locked up with and gone through all this abuse with like eating somebody is disgusting first of all being a cannibal but forcing somebody else that's fucked and also imagine like being forced to eat your friend and being like so starved that you would literally die if you didn't yeah i think i'd actually rather die i'm a hella picky eater though like i would just die <laughs> like, i would be no use because i would just be dead i think it's even worse than you yeah, yeah i'd true. probably just like choose to starve to death at that point i'd probably just be like you know what somebody else can have my fucking rations of whatever bullshit he throws down here because i want to die to be honest you can live a lot longer without food than you can without water Mm -hmm. so i would just not drink water i wouldn't drink water either until i died yeah because you die in like a few days then Mm. good luck i'm sure there were quicker ways that you probably could have you know killed yourself in this situation as well yeah I probably would have just been like, well, when you use, just crack my head off. I decided to say, we are. As morbid up. as that is, yes, like, I we would. are. We are. Um, <laughs> well, if it came down to it, I would. Yeah. I'd, rather, I'd be like, I'm not giving you, I have the power of boom. If it helps at all, that's it. The, the other girls survive. Well, well, it doesn't help. It doesn't <laughs> help. Because they literally had to live through this trauma and they're probably still dealing with that shit. I, I dealt with so much trauma from losing their fucking job yeah like it was bad i can only imagine like that that was nothing that was a walk in the park in comparison to what these women have been through yeah so heidnick started using rivera as bait he'd let her enter the outside world to basically help him pick up other potential victims and lure them into his home 
but he always kind of kept her close by. On March 24, 1987, after she had helped Heidnick abduct his seventh victim, Rivera managed to convince him to let her go for just a few minutes so that she could briefly visit her family members. I mean, ballsy ask. Yeah. yeah, and you'd expect him to just be like, fuck off now. But he did end up letting her go and said that he would wait at a gas station and that basically after she did that, she'd have to come right back. Rivera walked around the corner and out of his sight. Then she rushed to the nearest phone and called 911. Officers promptly arrested Gary Heidnick right there at the gas station and then raided his house of horrors. After four months of imprisonment, the women were finally free and furious with Rivera. Because even though she had freed them, they were still angry about the role that she had played in their torture, especially with Dudley's death. I kind of get it. Like, I wouldn't be furious with her. I'd be like, thank you so much for saving my life. But I would understand resentment because of that. But like, at the end of the day, she was... She, she was thinking of the just, end goal at the yeah. end of it. She wasn't doing it because she was actually getting a kick out of it. She was just playing along until she got the opportunity. Which, to me, I think that was, like, there very, very smart. There are plenty of others that have done the exact same thing. So, it's you go into survival mode. It's you like, do. this yeah. is what I need to do to survive right now. And she's not the only person that's done this. We've had multiple cases where this is what's happening. That yeah. These women that have been abducted and being tortured, they you know get in the good graces of their, their abductor yeah to try to get away yeah, yeah. Like it does make which sense. fair fucks to them yeah because I, I wouldn't know what to do no i wouldn't either i wouldn't some of the women even wanted rivera to be charged as an accomplice but in the end rivera was recognized as a victim of heinick and was forced to face the court despite his attempts to get off on an insanity defense Gary Heidnick was convicted in July 1988 and sentenced to death. He did try to kill himself in prison and his family also tried to get him off death row, but none of that really worked out. And finally, on July 6, 1999, Heinick received a lethal injection and became the last person to be executed in the state of Pennsylvania. Like, I'm happy that he was... But lethal injection, like, it's so humane compared to what, what he, he put, people put through. them through. Yeah. But at the same time, it is kind of nice to hear that he tried to kill himself and failed. Yeah, and, yeah, because that's like, you fucking little bitch. Like, I, yeah. I hate, I hate that. And so many of them do that. I'm like, you're literally, you're a big ballsy man when you're fucking kidnapping women and you're doing all this shit. Yeah. But when you have to face the consequence of your own actions, suddenly you're a little bitch and you're like, yeah, I must take my own life. Silence of the Lambs is completely different to the real life story. I know. I was like... I was expecting like Hannibal the Cannibal. Me too. When I first found out that it was based on a true story, I was like, oh, it must be Hannibal Lecter. But it was Buffalo Bill. And then when, the, like, the more I researched it, the more I was like, this fella is way more fucked than Buffalo Bill. Yeah. yeah. The only thing that's the same is the whole. Was there not a real life Hannibal the Cannibal? Yes, there was. I thought that it was this Heidnik guy. There are other mm. ones as well, though, because you were saying Psycho and stuff, so we could definitely do a part two to this. That's all for today. We hope you enjoyed our Halloween episodes. And if you're on Patreon, there should also be an extra little bonus short there for you by the time you hear this. So go check that out if you haven't already. And until next time, bye! bye.